What is up, y'all? This episode of NC Raw, I sit down with just Caleb, myself and Caleb, to talk a little bit about my story, and we talk some accountability and how we would handle um, each other returning to use and what that would look like. Talked a little bit about my story, how I came to recovery, and how I got to where I'm at today. Um, it was an awesome, awesome conversation. It's been a long time since just me and Caleb did a podcast together, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope you guys to do do as well. Um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Comfort Inn. They are a huge recovery ally here in Silva, North Carolina. They're offering the space for us to record this episode. So give them some love. They're located at 1235 East Main Street in Silva. Um, If you got anybody visiting the area uh, looking for a place to stay, I would highly suggest paying them a visit just because they support recovery and they identify as a recovery ally. So um, looking to get some rates, you can check out their website, choicehotels.com, or give them a call, 828-477-4950. With that being said, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Give it up for yours truly and my dog, Caleb McCoy. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Kayla McCoy. What's up, man? Can you believe we've been doing this 26 times? <clears throat> okay, it's it's going by really fast. Time flies. We're having fun for sure. You know, just uh, <sighs> despise not the day of small beginnings. You know, a lot of times people whether it's exercise, whether it's getting on a diet, whether it's starting a podcast, whether it's being a parent, whatever it is, you know, um, we all get aggravated because of the point that we're at. Yeah. But the reason I always say that despise not the day of small beginnings. Once you learn and grasp that great things come out of these small beginnings, these small starts, you know, that's how everybody has to start from there. And just the ideas. Right. The the little idea that was brought to the table at Subway 
one afternoon in Cherokee has turned into this, this, this thing that continues. And then each week we sit down at the table and we have these in-depth conversations that just create more ideas, mm-hmm. not just for us, but for the people who happen to tune in, who happen to listen. Like going to the Pacific Coast. Going to the Pacific Coast. Right, talk yeah. right in the end of it. I got you, man. All right, man. Yeah, my first rodeo. <laughs> it ain't. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I shared that that a couple of weeks ago that I had that idea um, for your first run. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have the time. Right. And you had hit me up like a week before you left, and you were like, "Hey, what do you think about coming out for like a week, ten days?" Yeah. And I just it it was just wasn't enough notice, you know, with my job working full time stuff like that. It wasn't enough notice. After I told you no, is when I thought about it. Uh huh. And I I pitched it to Courtney. I was like, Courtney, like we could totally like I'll quit my job right now and get an RV get some equipment and go podcast on the road and go and bring it out there. Um, and that was one of the times when Courtney checked me, which, you know, that's, that's the beauty in our relationship is that like we can have those conversations and um, she can bring me back down to earth because it wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. Then you came back and you're like, Hey, I want to plan another trip. Right. This is something I, over the summer for the next, you know, I don't know how long, but that, this is something I want to be at the core of Race Hope. Yeah. The, fa- the to, foundation. Yes. You know, to do these extreme challenges and to, to raise money, to build that sense of community and, and people that's just coming in recovery, like, or, you know, that's in early recovery or even people that's just recovery allies and want to understand a little bit better, but just but having that sense of purpose, being around the people that's struggled, and just, um, you know, networking, right? And just going out. And like I said, just trying to, what I'm trying to do with this is I seen how much of a fire it lit under me to experience that, to go out. And even in the middle of running, just to just to see people for people, you know, seeing mm-hmm. a lot of people walking, seeing a lot of people struggling on the road and just stopping and praying with them and just, um, you know, Pushing your body, being out with nature. I mean, there's so many pluses mm-hmm. to all this, and I, I want I want that to inspire the people that's going with us, and then they turn around and bring some people with them. Before we started the podcast, you were talking about tonight. You were talking about kind of what the preparation will look like, and what it's going to look like for these folks. Because you made a post last week, kind of announce it, formally announcing, yeah, what you were going to do, yeah. And inviting those select few mm-hmm. to join you. You got quite a response from that. Yeah, yeah, I got shared out quite a bit. You know, we had a, we've got a, about four people that's really serious about this right now. It sounds good now. Now, I yeah. mean, we've all we've all been guilty of this. Like, all right, let's go. You know, it's uh, that's not true commitment though. True yeah. commitment is like seeing this thing through. Yeah, and like you said, like you know preparation three four five days a week mm-hmm. from now until the mm-hmm. summer uh, four, four days a week is what i'm thinking minimum yeah yeah i mean i, I shared with you that three should be a given prior to even some that's, kind of commitment yeah, like that that's that just, just uh, getting by right yeah, yeah. And so you're not losing that, any. Anything. that's living yeah that's living yeah so. what'd you think about that uh that podcast we did last wednesday at sec a little remote gig 
It was good. It was good. I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, had, you got up early. You ran. Then you went to Fairview. <sighs> then you came to, to the two-hour podcast. Mm-hmm. But just the, the kind of It was like, good, man. It, it was good. I really uh, I want to keep engaging in those type of things. I want to um, get to, you know, that's how we're going to get that message out there. Yeah. Just keep showing up, man, and it's going to yeah. grow. I wanted. I was thinking I wanted to try to do like one of those a month in a different location. Oh, check this out. Go Come ahead. On. Go ahead, finish. Like one in Cherokee, one in Waynesville, one in Asheville, back to Cullowee, back to Silver. Like I want to just bounce around once a month. I want to do one. I got a. I got an email from Kay McConnell mm-hmm. of uh, Renew of Bryson City or Swain County, and she is wanting to do a public forum. Of okay. all the candidates in Swain County that's running. All right. And so she needs somebody. Obviously, she's inviting the community out. But I, I told her, I'm, I pitched the idea of having NC Raw there mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. Let's do it uh, October 16th. So this is something that we really need to talk about. Mm-hmm. See if we can get this set up. Try to invite the community out so they can vet their candidates in Swain County. Yeah. If you, even know, if you don't have to vote in Swain County, but I'm sure you know people in Swain County that maybe probably can't make it. There's people watching right now in Southern County. Right. I guarantee that. And we need to vet our candidates, you know. So what are you going to do about the drug, you know, epidemic going on? What are you going to do about the overdoses, these infections? What are you going to do about prevention, intervention, uh, treatment options? You know, I want I want to hear. I want to hear these things. I want to see what they say when they put on the spot because it's easy to, to have your answers prepared, but... When you when you're in front of the community mm-hmm. and they're firing questions, and you can at, tell yeah. when somebody's serious, oh, like, yeah. and when someone's dancing around a question mm-hmm. too. Well, before we get into the business tonight, we'd like to share some anniversaries of some folks who are doing a phenomenal job in their personal recovery. Some people who commented on our running post. We want to get you guys involved, and we want to recognize you for all the hard work that you're doing. The first one, your homegirl, Chelsea Cucumber. Oh, man. She's working on a float right now. I wish she Is was she? watching. Yeah. I, I let her know earlier. So she's, Did you? I think, yeah, I let her know earlier. So I I'm going to have to send her, send her an invite. Chelsea, I, I love you, man. It's That girl, she's been through it. So, I mean, she's a, a miracle and a walking testimony. So proud of where she's at right now. Um, she got through out. I'll let her tell her story. I just want to just throw this little bit out there because we definitely need to get her to share a little bit about where she's come from. But she overdosed, thought she was dying. She was dying. So the people put her in the car and threw her out by a dumpster. Mm. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, he sent somebody to find her and she was in a coma for a long, for uh, Yeah. Yeah, she shared her a good bit of her story you on see a post that? last week. That was yes. powerful, man. Very powerful. Very powerful. That was powerful. Shout out, Chelsea. I love you, girl. I'm proud o- of you. October 5th, 2015, this Friday, mm-hmm. she's celebrating three years in long-term recovery. Man, she's getting involved with Res Hope. You know, she's coming out. Because you know, after something like that happens, can you just imagine, like, the distrust that you have for people? For people, for your community, yeah. for people in your backyard. Yeah. So you, I mean, literally, so her, set her by the dumpster, leaned up against the dumpster, man. And just the fact that I, I used to, I, we used to use together. Mm-hmm. Like we was out there in the dirt, you know, together and seeing how far she's came 
and coming out of her shell and growing. You know, she's got two beautiful boys. Yeah. She's a, she's a wonderful mom. I've been dropping little hints about getting her back into school because she made a little she's something about so intelligent into school, too. So. Yeah, her and Caitlin was in Junalesco leadership together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on her. She'll be back. Oh yeah. She'll be back. Yeah. Awesome job, Chelsea. The next one, Samantha Leanne. Oh. October eighth. <laughs> really. Two thousand and sixteen. So next week. She'll be celebrating two years of long-term recovery. What's up, Sam? Proud of you, girl. She's Man. killing it, too. You Is see she? her stuff? And... A little bit, yeah. Okay. Little yeah, bit. she's doing really well. Proud of her. Awesome job, Samantha. And the very last one we got. Thank you. I mean, I know all your people, man. I think these are all your people. Ray Tolly. I don't, I don't know Ray that well. No? I Caitlin. That's, Caitlin does? Yeah, her, okay. him, yeah, him and Caitlin are, are pretty tight. Ray, how long? What's he got? One year coming up on the really? 7th. So I think that's Sunday that's night. Amazing. Sunday. One year, October 7th, 2017. So beautiful job, Ray. Proud you of you, are, brother. You guys are doing an amazing job. Keep up the good work. Anybody that can hear my voice, hit up the NC Raw page. Drop your dates. We'll give you some love on air. Also, want to talk about some community events, man. We got some community events coming up. You got anything? <laughs> what you got, man? Something tomorrow? Yeah, I got a little something going on tomorrow. A little something, something. Yeah. We got the uh, Cherokee Indian Parade. Uh-huh. What's that about? Um, the theme of the parade, of the fair this year is Gadoogie, which is community, a heartbeat of our tribe. Since it's already the, the eve of the parade, we've kind of kept everything under wraps. Uh-huh. But you know we you're, got. Wait, the, wait, wait! You're getting the, you're giving NC Raw the exclusive. Is the, that what you're saying? Exclu- you're giving me the exclusive. The exclu- hashtag the exclusive. Uh huh. Come on. Um, since it's the eve, man, we're going to talk about. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, what are the thing behind our float is? Mm-hmm. We've heard we've heard some people talking about the traditions of our people. Yeah. You know, Stomp, um, the Eternal Flame, we've talked about, you know, Stickball, all these things are at the core, you know, who we are as Cherokee people. You know, we're known for these things in our culture and tradition. And I got to thinking, and and we started started talking, and Caitlin was freaking out, like, well, you know, these floats are going to be amazing, you know, so-and-so's doing this and -and so-and-so's doing that. And I'm like, I was just taking a step back, and I was looking at everything, and I was like, "The heartbeat of our tribe, those traditions, those cult, the, the things that that we're carrying on, generation after generation, wouldn't be carried on if it wasn't for the people." Yeah. So the fact that you know we're losing all these people, you know, from the, the kids to the elders, um, and everybody in between, a whole we're losing a whole generation, Rob, in my community, and that's the heartbeat of the tribe. Right is the people. Yeah, well, the traditions don't mean nothing without the people to carry it on. You lose a whole generation of people, then what? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Then all that st- other stuff goes away. So uh, we we've got some. I ain't going to give too much now. But so what you're saying is you got to come out to get the full. You got to come out to get the full effect of what what we got going on. The message that we're sending though is, you know, we do recover. Obviously. And seeing people for people, and just and we're also remembering those that's that's lost their lives to mental health, to substance use, mm-hmm. 
the ones that we could get a hold of. You know, some people there's so much stigma there that their families is like, no, I don't want my, I don't want my son or my daughter part of that, which is unfortunate because so they're sharing their story can set somebody free. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's what it's going to be, man. We're gonna have we're gonna have like twenty, thirty kids on the float. Beautiful. That's the heartbeat of the people. When, yeah. when, where, how can people get involved? <clears throat> we're going to be live. I know we're going to be live tomorrow, but um, tomorrow we, the the parade starts at the casino parking lot in Cherokee, and it ends at 4 o'clock. It starts at 4 o'clock. It starts at 4 o'clock, okay. and it ends at the ceremonial grounds. So I don't know how long it'll go. A couple but, hours probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But we got people that's... Not even their old members, but just part of Race Hope that support the things that we do. Uh, they're going to be walking with the float. We're going to have posters. We're going to have different quotes, um, pictures, before and after pictures. Like I said, we're going to have pictures of people that's uh, lost their lives, you know, in remembrance and uh, memory of. It's going to be good, man. Love it, dude. Love it. Powerful stuff. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing you guys are doing, man. Down home, North Carolina. Uh-huh. On Tuesday, October 9th, from 7 p.m. until 8.30 p.m., is hosting a community forum on, on harm reduction. So it's down home, North Carolina. They're hosting a community forum on, on harm reduction over in Canton. Um, it's at the down home office, which is located at 3 Newfin Street in Canton, North Carolina. Um, the meeting is going to take place in their office. It's open to all members of the public that may have questions about harm reduction, safe syringe exchange, and how these practices are benefiting Haywood County. So they would like to invite anybody that has interest in um, learning more because there is a lot of, you know, a lot of scuttlebutt about needle exchange. And <laughs> a lot of what? Scuttlebutt. Needle exchange, harm reduction, all that stuff. So this is a good opportunity to come out and get educated uh-huh. on on what's out there. You Who, know, on down home, down home, North Carolina. Okay, is the name of the organization, and they're 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 uh, they're involved in a lot of they do like advocacy work, mm-hmm. um, and so they're involved a lot in this upcoming election and that sort of thing. So definitely check out their Facebook page. They got tons of uh, pertinent information out there for you guys. So. One set, one other event. I think Caleb's involved in this one. Sunrise Community for Wellness of Asheville is hosting. I think it's the first ever North Carolina Peer Support Conference. When is it? October twenty fourth. Did it get pushed back? And twenty fifth. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it got pushed back. I think that's what Sue had said. I just got this off their Facebook page on the, one of the. The event that like, they have. Like, literally just got it? Today, this morning. Okay. When I'm prepping. Okay. Uh, October 24th and 25th at the Mountain Area Health Education Center, which is located in Nashville at 121 Henderson Hendersonville Road. They have registration open. Any agencies out there, they're offering, like, buy one and get the seventh free. Um, it's a it's a, it's a a reasonably priced um, event. And it's not specific to peer support. If you have interest in peer support, if you have interest in getting involved, it's an opportunity to come out and build relationships and make connections. Um, 
All are welcome for the two full days of recovery and wellness programs, speakers, exhibitions, and networking. And they're also offering CEUs for those of you who are um, actively working in the field. So check out their Facebook page. There's a ton of information on there um, about the event. I think I know I'm going to try to make it out there. I know you're aren't you speaking or something? I thought I thought I, I thought oh, that's, a while that's back. a question for Caitlin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's uh she's a little bit more organized and with the calendar stuff. Caitlin's your agent? Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. actually, uh let's see what else we got something else going on. We got something else going on. <sighs> Just kidding. I can't think. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Hi man. So, um we don't have a guest tonight. I didn't schedule a guest. Why is that, Rob? Well, because, you know, we've done 25, we've recorded 25 episodes. And like, Kaylin, Ginger, a bunch of the crew are always like, when are you going to tell your story? When are you going to tell your mm-hmm. story? And so I figured that tonight would be the night. Um, looking back over, I didn't want to make the show about me. I wanted to make the show about our conversations, mm-hmm. right? So I was putting it off, putting it off, and I figured that, um, there ain't nothing wrong with making the show about you. A little no, bit. I know, I know, right. I know, I know. But I just want to get—I want to open the door to the community, you know. And yeah. so that's why it was important to me. And so I scheduled this a while back because of last week being uh, my four-year anniversary. I thought it would be time appropriately timed. Proud of you, bro. Yes, sir. Appropriately timed to kind of get on here and talk about like where I come from. Uh-huh. and how I got to be where I'm at today um, and doing all these things. So, you ready to do that, man? Let's do it. Let's how do you feel, it, how you feel about that? Let's do it, man. Um, Yeah, so September 27th, 2014, found myself in the back of a Florida Highway Patrol officer's car, uh-huh. headed, headed back to county jail once again. Why? Uh, driving under the influence. Crazy story. Man. What did you, I mean, what was it that you struggled with a lot? Um, alcohol. Mm-hmm. I, I have three driving under the influences mm. from alcohol. Mostly alcohol and uppers, cocaine, crack, meth, anything, any kind of upper. It was just the perfect combination of the, the alcohol and that. It was just, it was, it was my thing, you know. Um, but all of my problems stemmed from alcohol. I wouldn't just go out and buy a bag of dope. I would go to the bar first and then go buy a bag of dope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was taken to jail that night. I was pulled over on the side of the road, highway patrol officer. I left. I was at Ocala Brew Fest. It's a beer festival <laughs> at a at a hotel at the Hilton. And I was leaving there. I was driving on I-75, the biggest highway in Florida. Mm-hmm. Got lit up. I pull over. Officer walks up to my car. He's like, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, sir. He goes, you don't have a license plate on your car. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? Dude, I was... I stole my license plate. (laughs) I was 200 miles away from my house. Mm -hmm. I drove up to this thing. It was a... Man, that's that's pretty good. 200 miles and no license plate. No, no, no. Someone really did steal my license plate. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> my license plate really got stolen. So, uh, like, got you. I didn't. I was like, no, no. I was like, I was like, dude, you're, you're, you're effing with me. Like, you got, 
there's no way I don't have a license plate. And so I flung my car door open and just stumbled out of the car because <laughs> I wanted to go check if he was lying or not. So, you know, got booked, DUI, and <laughs> you know, no license plate. Um, and so it was like, I don't know what was different this time. Um, I was there for like 48 hours before, because I was so, I was so hopeless. Um, the six months leading up to that were just a shit show. And I had lost my job. I had lost my home. I had lost my long-term relationship. All the things that provided like meaning to me. And I was just spiraling out of control. And so when I got in there, I didn't call nobody. I didn't mm-hmm. call. I just, I was like, I was so so upset with myself for ending up there again, once again, you know, for the same thing, for drinking and driving, you know, all of my rests revolved around alcohol. Alcohol was involved in all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just so ashamed of myself for, for going down that road again, even though it should have happened. Like it was destined to happen the way that I was living. It was destined to happen. And so, um, you know, finally, I guess like my ex at the time, I guess she contacted my parents, something happened and they, my family found out, but I wasn't close to home. So like my brother drives in from Tallahassee, which wasn't too far from where I got arrested. My aunt came and they, they bailed me out. It was a little around 48 hours after I had been arrested. And, um, I just remember walking out of that that detention facility and um, having a, a, a moment of clarity. Of How long did you stay there? It was only a couple of days. It was only a couple of days. I got, got in front of the judge, but because of my, they posted bail for me. I didn't have my, all my arrests, they were spread out. It was about every five years I'd get popped for DUI. Five years, five years, five years. I'd kind of like get it together. Mm-hmm. Meaning I wouldn't drive on any influence. <laughs> get it, get it. I need a ride. Give somebody else the keys. Yeah, I need a ride. <laughs> right, <laughs> leave, right. Leave the truck at home. Yeah. Take a take a taxi. I was very you know active in. Well, that that, that that just goes back to that rationalization. Like I don't have no problem. What are you talking about? I'm getting, no, I'll right. let somebody else drive me. <laughs> yeah, I got. It. They got. It. Put it on them. Yeah. You know? Um, but for that for that moment, I was just like, I got to do something. You know, that morning at the bail hearing, the judge was very clear because I wasn't in the the county where all my prior arrests happened back home. This judge, good old boy, kind of country, farmland of Florida, he was like, listen, he's like, I see your record. He goes, it ain't going to be pretty when you come to trial. He's like, we're not, you know, you're a habitual offender. (laughs) And I was just like, let me out of here, dude. You know, he's like, you're a habitual offender. He's like, you're not going to get a slap on the wrist like you did back home. We're not going to give you a slap on the wrist like we did back home. So I walked out of there and I was like, I got, I I need to, for the first time in my life, I took responsibility for my actions, right? I just, internally, I was like, I have to change my life or I'm going to spend the rest of my life in there or dead, Mm -hmm. right? I got to change my life. Um, And I knew that I didn't, I never had experience. I never tried all the, the prior arrests. You never tried recovery. I never tried. Right. Never once. I never did either. I never attempted. I never went, I never went to one 
treatment group that was voluntary, meaning that my probation officer didn't make me go to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I Mm -hmm. never, it was never initiated by me. It was everything I did prior was to fulfill my obligation with probation or to get my license back. Doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Doing the right thing (laughs) for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, This time was different. Mm -hmm. This time I took, took direct action. But here's the thing. We talk about planting seeds all the time, mm-hmm. right? You're always talking about planting seeds, right? I I didn't have any experience with any of that. However, I began to to think about the past treatment, the past things that I needed to do to com- to fulfill my obligation with probation. What that what that experience was like, like the DUI schools and the court ordered counseling, weekly group counseling, and things like that that they made me go to to get my license back. And what hit home with me was that DUI number two. I had went been sentenced or whatever to do like eleven or twelve weeks something. 10, 12 weeks of this group, group therapy, you know, mm-hmm. group, group process, um, with a counselor. So I walked into that place and this was the second time, second time. And he was teaching meditation there. Right. So that seed being planted. Yeah. So I went, I went once a week and when I was there for that one hour or an hour and a half, he taught us how to meditate while I was there. I experienced, albeit very, 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 very brief, mm-hmm. I experienced relief, right? Brief moments of relief from that internal madness that goes on in your head yeah. when you're active. And so I knew that it worked. I just had never tried it. And so I got out of jail, started researching meditation. Because I had tasted what it brought to me, albeit so brief, so brief. And that's how I found Refuge Recovery. Um, Refuge Recovery is what got me to where I'm at today. What does that look like? Um, Because I don't don't really know. Yeah, it, it is kind of based off of like 12 step. However, it is... um, from a Buddhist inspired perspective. So is it kind of like yoga? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, very similar. So like it's um living an ethical lifestyle, mm-hmm. meaning right speech, livelihood, <clears throat> action, kind of like intention, like the 12 step principles, yeah. you know? Um living an ethical lifestyle, mm-hmm. and a daily meditation practice internal reflection where I intentionally sit down for 20 minutes a day and I close my eyes and I disconnect from the internal chatter. And what it did was it taught me how to, it changed my relationship with my mind, with yourself, with myself. And I learned that because I was having these thoughts, that those thoughts weren't, were not me. I did not, I no Mm -hmm. longer identified with those thoughts. I learned that, 
those thoughts will dis- will dissipate, will leave as quick as they come, right? Um, <clears throat> I also learned- It's kind of like you've been dating yourself for a long time. <laughs> Dude, I, no one's ever said that to me before, but that's totally- That's exactly what yeah, it is, that's, man. That's totally, that's totally <laughs> what it's like. And so, okay, well, that being said, just, just, just back, go with me here for just a second. Well, that being said, because I heard this the other day, and I, I'm so glad I did because now I can relate to you a little bit. We get into these relationships where we're just like, okay, oh, I love boo, my booze, you know, blah, blah, like my ride or die. And we'll get into these relationships, right? That'll last a week. Two days later, oh, my boo, my new boo, right? Mm-hmm. We're, you know, yeah. jumping right to, we don't take time to date ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to actually know what it is that we're looking for in somebody else because we don't know what, we don't even know who we are. You don't know who you are. Right. So how can you find somebody else? That's, I mean, that's so true in the society we live in today. You know, it go really ahead, is. man. Um, <laughs> I had to drop that but, little. So I discovered, I discovered refuge recovery, but I also knew I needed to get myself some help, get myself in check. And so um, I went, went to court kind of like negotiated a deal to they in florida they will allow and count days in treatment as time served in jail Mm -hmm. so i was able to negotiate hey basically i'm going to go to 30 day inpatient facility and they offer me like a probation for taking that for making that commitment which is pretty fair considering like many people don't have that option. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that it wasn't paid for by the state. It had to come out of paid out of pocket, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I showed up at this inpatient facility in the same 200 miles away from my house in the same town that, uh, I was arrested in, believe it or not. Um, but I showed up there and I was I was ready to change. I was I was committed to doing it. I was like, if I've I've gone through all this, I've abstained for a period of time since my arrest, gone to court. Like, I'm doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And just like you, man, I I see it. It's the same thing. That's like, I'm the type of person that when I commit to doing something, that's where mm-hmm. like you always talk about putting the same effort and energy that you put into seeking the drugs and those bad behaviors into your current lifestyle, Mm -hmm. into your running, into your recovery, into your faith. Right. It was the same thing, same experience. And, um, so I was there for like 30 days and, and while I was in there, I began to, began to watch the operations and what took place and the interactions between the counselors and the clients. And I kind of like, took on a leadership role because I had this tool, had this, I brought the refuge recovery with me. Right. Mm-hmm. So like in all of our free time, I was meditating In all of our free time. I was reading, studying the literature and dude, it was new. Like I got arrested in September of 14. This program was launched in like June of that year. So the program had officially only been out for three or four months. So, like, I brought this into this treatment facility just by, you know, pure coincidence because I discovered it. So I began sharing it with with my guys in there, mm-hmm. with my, my, my fellows that were in the 
you know, pod or in the group with me. And so we started kind of like meditating together, working the program together. Um, again, I was watching the counselors and I was like, I could, I could do that. You know, like I was working with these guys, like just, I was building relationships with my, mm -hmm. with my, because of my background, which I'll kind of get into in a little bit, but because of my background, I was building relationships with these guys. And so about halfway through my, through my stay, I was like, in my individual counseling, I was like, Hey man, I, I'm interested in, I'm interested in going back to school. I think I want to be a counselor. And my mom had always been on to me about, you need to get, you should go. Have you ever thought about going back to school? You should go back to school. You want to go back to school? And I was always just like, mom, what, what would I study? Like mm -hmm. I would entertain the idea, but there was nothing that I was like passionate about. Nothing no. that I was interested in. Um, and I, I had, I had that experience in the treatment facility. So I began like talking to my, my counselor about it. And, um, talked him into letting me use his computer <laughs> to like search around, do some research and look at schools. And that's how I found SEC. So had you ever been up here before? Yeah. My grandparents retired up here. Okay. In like 96, 95, 94. They still here at this point? They have passed. I live in their house. Okay. I live in their house now. They've, they've both since passed. Oh, that's but nice. So like we had, I had a lot of experience, like every, um, I was looking here because I wanted to get away from Florida mm -hmm. and I knew that I could, I had a place to stay and I knew I had previous experience with the mountains and the outdoors. And I mean, we spent every summer here, every Christmas break here. Um, and I found the school and it was just, it was the perfect, the perfect, it felt like the perfect thing for me. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. I didn't have my license, right? 18 months, I think, was what it was suspended for. No driver's license. How you can live at the top of a mountain? So you ran. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Only Caleb McCoy. Oh, Only Caleb gonna, McCoy would run I back I thought and you had a great, you do got a great runner in there somewhere. I built do. For it. You're built for it. This summer. Yeah. This summer I do. You, you think, I'm not just going to be talking behind these mics, man. I'm going to be running with y'all. No, you know I hope that, so, right? yeah. Yeah. Because I forgot the main point of the beginning of the show. It's, today is October 1st, Sober October. Huh? Sober October. It starts, to, it that's starts right. today. That's right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get back to that for anybody that's tuning in. But Sober October is going on. So I didn't have a driver's license. Mm -hmm. And so I had the bright idea that I was going to bring my significant other with me. Mm -hmm. We're going to move up here together. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, real sweet. <laughs> she was going to, she, she offered, she was going to drive me around. Okay. To and from school. Sounds like me and Caitlin. Sounds just like you and Caitlin. <laughs> here's, yeah. the only, here's the only problem. Right? Yeah. She was still drinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Active. I mean, um, she never stopped. So does we, she still live here? I have no idea. I haven't talked to her in a few months. So how long was y'all together? How long did we live here together? How long was you together? Like from about 
18 to two, 18 months to two years before. So then you moved up here. Uh huh. And then how long did you stay together? About 18 months. Well, you get together, get together for a little while then. About 18 months. Um, and she did it. She drove me back and forth to school. And it was. Was she drinking? Was she driving you? Oh, every day. Really? Yeah. And so, like, I didn't. <laughs> I hadn't fully. I hadn't fully committed to doing the work. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was abstaining from substances, right? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, even like with the refuge recovery and the meditations and stuff, I would do maybe like two or three meetings a month. I would meditate. I would meditate when, after that initial like honeymoon of recovery kind of like wore off a month or two in, and we were actually here, I would do like two to three meetings a month and I would meditate a handful of times a month. I would meditate when things got stressful. I would meditate when we had a when we had a argument mm-hmm. or a misunderstanding, and it finally just boiled over, you know. And I, you know, I was I was always vulnerable because there was always alcohol in the house, right? Mm-hmm. But I had like set, like I was willing to <clears throat> die before I took a drink. Like I knew where that 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 road leads, and so I wasn't there was no temptation whatsoever. But it just got to a point where, like, her, our relation, we were living different lives, you know? Like, I was attempting to do the recovery thing and going to school. And, you know, this is definitely not an attempt to, like, shed any type of negative light on her. She just had, she hasn't found recovery yet. And maybe she has, but I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm better than her or, or anything like that. Well, I'm but, glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking you were doing. But no, not at all. <laughs> I'm um, joking. Because, yeah, <laughs> you know, when we started the podcast, like as a, I did share it out with her, just, hey, you know, we're doing this thing. If it's something you might want to tune into. Um, and it had gotten to a point where because the, the, the original agreement when we moved up here was I'm gonna move up here. I'm going to get into school. She's going to drive me around. Once we get settled, she was going to pursue recovery. Yes. Okay. But once we got settled, all of that changed. And she wasn't quite, she wasn't ready. It was like, I'm going to live my life. You can't, don't tell me what to do. The whole, you know, you've heard, <laughs> heard it before? Oh, yeah. You heard yeah, it? once or twice. Once or twice. You said it yeah. before? <laughs> Absolutely not. I've never said that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, it just, it didn't, it, you know, after like going through it for like 18 months, uh, it finally got to the point where, like, it just we mutually agreed to like part ways. Mm-hmm. All right, um, we mutually agreed to part ways. And here's the problem: I still didn't have my license. <laughs> <laughs> so now, listen to this: though. you're gonna you're gonna die. So now, I'm up on the mountain. I'm here. I'm at the top of the mountain. I'm here. Twelve, literally, at literally, the top of the mountain. At, literally at the top of the mountain, <laughs> the very top of Kaluwe Mountain, and about fifteen miles. Uh, from school, mm-hmm. no way to get back and forth. Oh wow, you're what, you're that far up. Yeah, it's, it's about four thousand four thousand feet. It's up there. Okay, come up, man. I know. Let me go. Better get some elevation workouts yeah. in, dude. There's all incline. It's all incline, dude. <laughs> you're running my mailbox and back here. We'll be good. All uh, right. Um, but I was up there. You know, I didn't know. What to, I didn't have anything to do. 
So I had the bright idea. I was full of bright ideas about this. This is what humbled me, man. This uh, this experience right here. It wasn't um, it wasn't pre-recovery. It was getting through all this stuff in early recovery that I learned what I learned from. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. So um, she decided to move out. She was going to get her own place, and. I had the bright idea. I was like, okay, what, what am I going to do? So I bought one of those little scooters. <laughs> the ones you don't need a, you know, you don't need a license mm-hmm. for. Bought me a little scooter, bro. Things were starting to look good. Summer, uh, school was out. It was going into the summer. I think it was like middle of May. Got me a scooter. Got me a job. I was like, I'm going to get me a job. Over Man, you, you grinding. That's what yeah. you're doing. You're just grinding. I was. I was grinding. Dude. I was getting it together. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so you want to go? You're going to go do your thing. I'm going to get to where I need to be on my own. I'm going to put in the work. I'm ready to put in the work. Talk about despise, not the day, small beginnings. <laughs> yeah. And so got me this scooter. I landed me a job over in Highlands, working front desk at a hotel. Um, How far is that on the scooter? It wasn't, it was about 30 minutes, but it was all like two lane roads, like downhill, down the mountain, no cars, no, <laughs> no traffic, no nothing. It was beautiful. It was great. You know, I did it for like two weeks. Two weeks. I got the job. I went through training, worked a few times. Um, and after about two weeks of going into this, um, going to this job, waiting for the fall semester to start, um, I was driving to work and going down one of the mountain roads, an elderly woman comes flying around the corner, ran me off the road. And so... <laughs> Yeah, bro. Was it bad? Ran me off the road. Did you wreck? And so I laid it down. I didn't like crash, but I laid it down in the road, right? I go to stand up, and my foot is turned completely spun around. What? And the bone, the bone, my leg bone was just on the pavement. I couldn't stand up. My foot was, I knew my foot was broken. And so luckily, we were in such a rural area that, um, I couldn't get a phone signal. I couldn't. I needed to call an ambulance. Couldn't get a phone signal. There was a dude, a guy that was a short distance behind me. He pulled over as soon because he saw her almost hit me. Like he got it, and she didn't even stop. She never saw me. Did you ever find out who it was? No, it was a, it was a rental car. That's all they know. It was a, it was a rental car, or they suspect it was a rental car. And so, um, I tried to stand up in the road and it just, I was in so much pain because my foot was turned oh, sideways. Goodness. And so good old boy, pickup, <sighs> pickup truck comes soon as I was trying to get up and he was like, Hey, let me help you. <laughs> and so luckily we're only about two miles away from the Highlands Cashers hospital. So he's, he, he drug my bike off to the side of the road and he threw me in his truck, took me to the, took me to the hospital, get to the hospital. I go hopping in one foot, hopping in. First thing I say to the nurse is, listen, I'm in recovery. My foot's messed up and I don't want any, I can't take any drugs. Cause I was just, it was on, that was the only thing that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm in recovery. I cannot take, cause I, you know, like the whole, um, pain pills, opiates, none, that was never my thing, but I didn't want it to become my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time in my life. And so they put me, they put, it was crazy. The doctor, um, my ankle was broken, my foot was broken, and the bottom of my leg was fractured. Mm. And the doctor was like... You got a picture of it? Yeah, I did. I'll do it right here. 
um, the doctor was like, I, you need to have your foot reset. I need to reset. I need to set your foot back into place. He's like, but I don't think I can. He's like, you need to go. He wanted to send me out to mission or something like that because he didn't a generally trained. He wanted to send me to like an orthopedic mm -hmm. doctor to, be yeah. able to do it. He didn't trust that he could do it. And so um, I was like, come on, doc, come on, man. I know you could. I was hyping him up because I just wanted the pain to stop. It hurt so bad. I just wanted the pain to stop. And uh, next thing I know, dude. He, br he brought a little laptop over to the to the desk, and he was, like, showing me the x-ray, and he was like, yeah, so what I got to do is... He was so like, what, your foot is laying there, like... Sideways. You're sitting here just checking it out. Yeah, he was, like, he was he had the laptop, and he was looking at the they laptop. They didn't give you no... You didn't let him give you no... No, they did. They put me under. They did okay. put me under for this, <laughs> for this thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they did. Um, <laughs> but so he... Uh, he was looking at the computer, and then he was looking at my. Then he was looking at my foot, and then he was looking at the computer, and then he was looking at my foot. Like, okay, he was trying to get a get an idea on what to do. Next thing I know, I wake up. I woke up. My foot was all wrapped up. He did it. He popped it back into place. So while he was looking and back and forth, back and forth, and he just. He, yeah. No, he put me under. He was just trying to decide oh, okay. what to do. You know, he was oh, just trying I to decide. I thought it was like the pain made you pass out. No, nah, so. he was just trying to decide what to do. Um, and so, <laughs> I just showed him, for those of you uh, watching, I just showed him a picture. Um, and so, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Look at you, man. Man, I... <sighs> and so, uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they they released me from that hospital because for for nobody that, for people that don't live in the area, Cashers Highlands Hospital is a very small rural, just basically an emergency room. That's all they do. Then they send you out. So they they discharged me that night and they sent me to the big hospital here in Silva, mm -hmm. and they sent me to the orthopedic surgeon. Doc looks at it. He's like, "You're going to need surgery," and so. Um, a, he they waited about a week because it was so swollen. swollen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they wanted the swelling to go down, and they put like a dozen screws in one side and a big pin. I never knew that. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, put a big pin and a plate into in the other side. Okay. Okay. Um, while this is going on, I was still in contact with old, your ex, old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, girl. <laughs> hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. I'll never forget you told me that, man. The podcast. Go back and listen to that podcast. Oh, that was a good. Um, and so I was still in contact with her, and I don't, I don't want to like put her business out there, but she did some things during this time that were like that were very hurtful, shady, shady, harmful. You know, on me and that sort of thing. And so, do you forgive her? I do, and that's where I'm going with this. Okay, is that after my surgery, they were like, "You can't, you're not going to be able to put, you can't put any weight on your foot for 90 days. No weight. You can't even attempt to walk minimum of 90 days." So I was like, "What am I going to do? You know, I don't have transportation now. Up on top of the mountain." <laughs> Bless your heart, Rob. Yeah. The girl, you know. You ain't got no family up here. Nobody. Closest is like Tallahassee, Florida, about seven hours away. 
Did you have any connections? My next door, my next door neighbor, elderly woman, Roberta Dawson. Love you, Roberta. She is, um, she was like my grandma's best friend, you know, my, my grandparents, close friend. So like they kind of helped me out a little bit, but it got to the point where like I began to, uh, I needed to reach out for help. I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah. Mostly mentally, like mostly with my recovery. I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to, um, to maintain my recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, my reco- my recovery was at jeopardy. And I'll even go as far as say that, like, if I had transportation, I don't know that I would have made it through that event. You know what I mean? What do you mean? Had I been able to go down to the store. And I'd have been getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had I been able to go somewhere. Yeah. I, it was questionable. And so that's when I reached out and called my brother in Tallahassee. My brother um, loved the dude, man. I loved the man. He's a father, husband, a pastor. Um, PhD student, teacher at Florida State. I mean, just love the kid. Called him. Is he was, younger than you? He's two years younger than me. Oh, wow. I called him. And I was like, listen, bro, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this. Like, I need you. I was like, I, I need you to come and get me right now. <laughs> like, I, I'm, at, I'm high risk right now. I need you to come get me. Um, and he did. He did. He got in his car and he drove up here and got me. How, how long did the drive was that? Seven hours. He drove up here seven hours to get me and turned around a couple of days later. No questions asked. No questions asked. No questions asked. That's what's dude. up, man. Um, Shout out, brother. Sheldon Steen. And I hope to do, a, I'm going to do a little podcast with him because I want to work through, I want to talk through some of that next week when I'm down there. Uh-huh. I'm bringing some of this stuff with me. I want to talk through some of these, these experiences because our relationship, we had grown apart throughout my active use. And this was like the first thing, because as soon as I got into recovery, I moved here. Yeah. So like there wasn't any real room to rekindle that relationship, but this did. This brought us back together, man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a huge part of supporting us through the podcast. He got that. He got the logo done for us. Okay. Yeah, he's the one that right. got the logo done for us. Sheldon. Sheldon. What's up, Sheldon? And so, um, but so I stayed down in Florida for like the I did the ninety days down there. Got my learned how to walk back, learned how to walk again. Actually started like casually, slowly, gently, like exercising and running just because I was trying to rehab as fast as I could. I mm-hmm. wanted to get back on my feet. Um, but I dedicated myself to at that time, I was like, listen, when are you ever gonna have three months with nothing to do? Yeah. Never. Right. When are you ever gonna have 90 days to with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So I decided to like commit myself at that time to work in the program 110% every day, um, constantly just reading new, new books, new literature, practicing, and most importantly, mm. most importantly, working on that forgiveness aspect. Like that, that was the top priority. I knew that if I held any type of resentment or any type of ill will towards anybody that was involved in that situation, I wouldn't be able to get back up here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to get back into school. I wouldn't be able to move on with my life. I wouldn't be free. So I just, just worked on it. 
That's when I started my first refuge recovery meeting in Tallahassee. We, there wasn't any refuge recovery there. We started a meeting, a couple buddies. Um, you know, needless to say, I made it back up here. And um, it changed my life, dude. Like, the way, I, the way that I look at recovery now in comparison to what early recovery was like um, is night and day. I mean, I was abstinent back then. I'm thriving now. I'm flourishing now. Whenever you say you're abstinent, like you was just, because a lot of people say, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, was you, was you struggling back then? No, I just wasn't drinking. I wasn't happy. Was you a dry drunk? Yeah. Dry drunk. Dry drunk. (laughs) Was you, uh, (laughs) cut that out. Yeah. (laughs) Courtney, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. stigma <laughs> it happens grace, grace and forgiveness y'all mm-hmm. um, did you you just wasn't have a lot of joy in your life because no. you, didn't, you didn't have a Mm-mm. I had I had superficial things that I thought were going to bring me joy like the the relationship like just the fact of like I felt like almost like um, like the ego, like, okay, things should be better because I have all these things in place because I'm back in school, right? Because I'm in school for the first time in my life, because I'm sober, because I have a roof over my head, because I'm in a financially in a decent place. I, I expected to be happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't obviously. Yeah. Right? Who, who, you know, so it just goes back to putting that, we look for happiness into, you know, drugs for a long time, and then we start looking in, looking for happiness in people, yeah, in, in things, yeah, like you said, like school, but that that's not where we should get. Like you get your joy now from meditation and from mm-hmm. within, yeah, that's cool, man. Absolutely, from that's that and from sitting at this table once a week and talking, right, to right, yeah, 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 about their, you know, most intimate. Uh, <clears throat> intimate story. But I guess my, um, my thing is like, if we didn't have this, yeah. would you still have the joy that you have? Yeah, absolutely. It was more, right. you know, before we did this, it was all refuge recovery. But then again, like at that time, I still held like such a fixed view because refuge recovery worked for me. So I was only involved in that fellowship. So would you like to re- re- refuge recovery Nazi? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I just wouldn't like sit down and like I ain't listening to you. Yeah, <laughs> Refuge words. Yeah, I just wouldn't get involved with uh-huh. other other folks outside of of what we were doing. Um, I heard this uh, a speech talking about entrepreneurship, and TD Jakes was talking about like to make sure you sit down because a lot of people. There's several people out there that's of the Christian faith that won't have anything to do with anybody that's not mm-hmm. the same mindset and as far as theology goes. Yeah. And T.D. Jakes was just talking about, like, just because that person doesn't believe the same way that you believe doesn't mean that God's not going to use that person to bless you. Yeah. You know, you don't have to believe the same way. We don't have to, to believe yeah. the same way to get along and, and to bless one another. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, that's cool, man. I have a mutual respect just for, um, for you, obviously, but just for like anybody, anybody that I meet. Some, and that's that's what like, that's what you've brought to me. 
is that that level of respect for anybody that is choosing to change their life or live a healthy lifestyle mm -hmm. however they seem the fittest yeah right like i don't know what the world looks like through your eyes but if you're choosing to do these things for the benefit of your overall health and wellness dude i'm supporting you 100 percent. Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying um and that's what the difference is from before and, and that's changed just since we've been doing this podcast like i did and it wasn't that i looked at these folks differently it was that i just didn't get these folks being like people that's not that didn't refuge. yeah didn't didn't yeah follow my path yeah um is that i just didn't interact with them there was no interaction there was no conversation there was no dialogue i didn't care what you guys were doing it, meaning just in general like other people right you know what i mean now, like, i don't i want to stay with my people here you do your thing yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. i know i know what works i have found what works for me and it's working good, right? So, so it's like, yeah, <laughs> tunnel, tunnel vision. Yeah, don't no, don't come around with another, yeah. another bull crap. No, I don't, you know? I don't want it. Right. I don't want it. Right. I got what works. I know it works. Look <laughs> yeah. at me. I'm doing good. Yeah, back off. Right. Um, there was just there was it was just there was no no kind of interaction. Here we are doing a podcast, North Carolina recovery always talking about all these different approaches to recovery, and you you've changed my perspective on on a lot of it, just by having these conversations with you both on air and off air in our personal conversation, personal lives is that, um, I truly believe that I think that there's something powerful about when we talk about influence and change and helping people get to their, get to that point. I think there's something super powerful in the individual discovering what works for them. Absolutely. Not like your counselor telling you to do this or somebody, your pastor telling you to do that, Steve Steen telling you to do something, Kayla McCoy telling you to do something. When you can kind of get your feet wet and you find out what brings that brings that that ease and that relief from the chaos yep, that we the, lived yeah, in. Yeah, the release. That that is so much more powerful than when somebody tells you to do something. Now uh, we started this conversation about planting seeds, and that's that's a huge part of it because what got me to where I am is something that you know my probation officer sent me to mm -hmm. seven years before. So like when I work with somebody, when I talk to somebody, um, it's really about like about that individual finding discovering what it is that will fill that void on their own them them figuring it out on their own so with that being said if you so are you saying that like it takes away from the powerful transformation that you see them going through if you offer advice and they pick it up and run with it yeah. so it's not as powerful i think that's more powerful if if I can, but I, they have to learn it from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, they do. I can offer tools, but I think it takes like a, a healthy balance of like of them reaching out for it, like them. You know, you hear like doing the work, but them 
the individual finding out what works with for them, I'm going to walk alongside of them while they find it out. I'm glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> okay, check this out. We hear all the time, and for anybody out there listening, we've all said that you can't help anybody that doesn't want to be helped. Is that is that is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment that we've heard it, said it. What do you say? do you believe that? Do I believe it? You can't help somebody that wants that doesn't want to be helped. At that moment. But with that being said, the because I'm and I'm sure that there there was times that we just I, I wanted to kill myself. Oh right? yeah. You know, after my dad passed and I, I had that shame and guilt, it was like that disappointment of what the thing that I had become. I was shame, like, the shame. Yeah, man. I, mm-hmm. I was like, Lord, you know, take me out. Just kill me, right? And so I think there's a lot of people out there at that point to where they're not going to make that decision on their own. Yeah. So I, I feel like just like God has to intercede on our lives, he expects us to intercede mm-hmm. on each other's lives and to say like, I want to do involuntary commitment on my, you know, so and so because I feel like they're going to, they're one bad choice away from, you know, one bad day away from, from killing themselves. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that we can help people that don't want to be helped because once you get them in that setting and get them a few days of, of clean time and their, their mind starts healing, mm-hmm. they might, they might get it. How uh, many people? that have sat down on this table on this podcast got into recovery through forced treatment in jail. A lot. Yeah. A lot of the people that we've talked to got their taste of recovery while incarcerated. Right? Yeah. Cause forced treatment. Yeah. Right. A large. It is a form of treatment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is it a form of treatment? Well, no, I said forced treatment. But is forced, it is it a form? No, of treatment? No, I mean most of the people that we've talked to haven't never didn't really receive a whole lot of services while in there. Forced abstinence. Forced. Forced abstinence. Uh, yeah, abstinence for sure. You know what I mean? But then what does that do? That opens. That gives you that clarity to want to change. Mm-hmm. Right. That gave for me. It gave me that clarity for God to plant that seed and me to be mm-hmm. like, oh, look I what I got. It. I yeah. got it. Makes sense. Now, this is what he's been trying to do in my life this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it took me to sit here in jail for a few weeks, and then I got it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What do you think, like, have you looked, have you reflected back on on your life and identified moments that may have contributed to where you ended up? <laughs> Oh yeah, I do that a lot, man. I do that a lot. Like as a Christian, you know, seeing now looking back on those specific moments that you're talking about, God was always trying to reconcile me back to him. He was always calling me home to come and and to walk in his purpose for my life. Mhm. Several times, man, several times. Now looking back at it, like the time I left treatment when uh, this was February 17, right after one of my overdoses, I got picked up and they sent me, sat in jail for a few days. <clears throat> they sent me to Tennessee and I went to church the night before. So this is like, I can't remember, during, this is during the 
during the week. I think it was on a Thursday night. Went to church Thursday night. Let's just say Thursday night. Uh, hated it. Couldn't stand it. Ready to get out of there. Looking around, these people are up screaming and hollering, praising God, and I'm like, they've lost their mind. Like, they're stupid. Like, who does this? And, you know, so the ne- that next morning, I'm just looking for an out. I'm just looking for a, 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 an opportunity to start a fight so I can get kicked out. Well, long story short, something does happen, and I take that opportunity, and I walk down, I walk down the road. And I'm walking down Maryville, Tennessee, not knowing where I'm at. Been in, I stayed in rehab for 18 hours, and I leave. And I didn't know where I was going, but somehow – I ended up back in that church parking lot where I was the night before. Oh, man. Nobody's there, right? Yeah. Walking to this church parking lot. And I'm I'm tired, man. I got my I got my bags. I actually hid one bag in Maryville. I'm sure it's still over there. But uh, <laughs> it's in the woods. So anyways, I'm, I got my bags, you know, trash bags, book bags coming down the road. And I'm tired, man. It's like 10 miles. I'm, I'm probably, I probably walk a good seven, eight miles at that point. Walking to this church parking lot. There's one car sitting there. And I didn't know if anybody was even in it. So I come walking up to it. I was going to see if somebody was in it. I could use her cell phone. This guy, man, shows me the love of Jesus Christ like to a T. He says, uh, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm going home. I got kicked out. I left. I didn't get kicked out, actually. But I just left on my own will. And uh, he was like, you need to use my phone. I said, yeah. I said, he's, like, where you at? Where you live? I said, Cherokee. He's like, okay. I remember seeing here last night. He said, he starts talking to me and just starts listening to what I had to say, which was a bunch of nothing at that time, but just loving me, you know, right where I was at. And then he's like, you know what? We're two and a half hours away from Cherokee. He's like, uh, I'll give you a ride home, man. You know, just showing that love to me. Right. Yeah. So I felt like it was God placing that man in my life. To show that love that he was, you know, he places those pe- those people in our lives. You know, same thing with my dad. When my dad was, you know, uh, dying and he could, you know, he had every right to kick me out. It's like the prodigal son. You know, I, I I gave him every reason in the world to, to to kick me out and everything. And he was just like, I love you, son. I wish you would. I don't know what's going on with you. You know, and just just little things like that. You know, yeah. planting those seeds. And now looking back at it, I was like, that was God, like using yeah. them as vessels to speak to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't know, you know how Richie always talks about like during like the peer support training and the speeches that he gives, he's always talking about like how he like didn't feel comfortable in his skin and he wasn't real like sociable mm-hmm. um, as a young man. And, and like a large part of that is just that like in our culture, we tend to like, you know, not acknowledge and teach healthy coping skills when it comes to like emotions. Right. And we just like, we we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. Like, you know, you got this, I got that, you know, internally, like it's almost something. And I don't know if that's something that we're born with or if that's just something that like our culture teaches us. It's probably a little, I bit, think it's both. It's a little yeah. bit of both. Yeah. Um, but like I can totally relate to that, you know, and all through, um, like elementary school and, and growing up is that like, I just didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I didn't want to fit in. I didn't want to talk to the kids at school. I didn't want to be like them. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel like we had anything in common when, you know, in reality, we had a lot of things in common. 
Um, but playing sports kind of taught me at an early age, like little league baseball, stuff like that taught me like a little bit of that social interaction. Mm -hmm. And along with my dad, you know, love this man to death. Like he instilled this, this level of like discipline and respect at a very early age. Um, he taught me how to work hard, you know, both um, by example and, you know, spent time teaching me that. And he didn't want to see me go down that road. Like we, my family does have a history of um, addiction. And so, like, I was involved in um, baseball and basketball. I played basketball in high school and, like, I remember, like, in middle school, like, he'd buy me books about, like, like trying to, like, trying to create that connection. And he would buy me books about athletes that had gotten into, into addiction and what their life's like now, how they kind of, like, got into found recovery. Who's one of them that you really looked up to? Um, John, Coach John Lucas. You heard of him? He coached the San Antonio Spurs. When Dennis Rodman and David Robinson played for them, okay. you remember that guy, little short African American dude, ball guy. I don't remember him, but yeah. I know you were rolling hard back then, son. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he like his story. You know, he was like a, a a huge tennis star and got into like Division One basketball and found crack cocaine, and you know, kind of like lost it all. Now he's a substance abuse counselor. He's got a treatment facility in Texas somewhere. But like he would like kind of like planting those seeds like hey you know this is the this is an educational piece like this is what doing those drugs will can lead you towards mm -hmm. but also like this is here are like here's somebody that went down that road and also changed their life so like my dad really like didn't want really attempted to to teach us to teach me and he did it through creative ways that he thought that I would connect with you know, mm -hmm. uh, through sports and around the time I had already like, you know, started drinking and as a teenager and he came to me and he was like, I was, I was playing high school basketball. I think my sophomore year over the summer and he came to me and he was like, Hey, if you want to get a job, I'll help you buy a vehicle. He's, you know, kind of presented this offer to me. He was like, you get a job, we'll buy a, a little inexpensive vehicle, and we'll, you can make payments on it. Like, you can, through your paychecks, we'll, you can pay, pay it off. And what that did was, I literally went and got a job that day in retail. Um, working at a boating supply place, kind of like an auto zone deal, but mm -hmm. part, parts for boats. And what I learned there was the social interaction that I didn't have as a, as a youth because I had to build relationships with my customers, right? I had to build relationships with my coworkers. Um, in order to be successful, I learned to be successful by creating relationships with customers, learning people's first name, giving them the best customer service, 
I learned how to build relationships. But I also... And this is your first job. First job. And here you are in retail. Mm-hmm. I worked there for 10 years. That same job. Okay. Worked my way up through that company. Um, but I got laid off in like after 10 years, uh, working all the way up to the top, I got fired, terminated because of my substance use. Mm -hmm. I would like go through these patterns where like I would do well, I would, I would function. I would like, I was the type of person that like I worked hard and partied harder. Like I, I, my rent was always paid. I always went to work intoxicated or not. I always went to work. I was always on time. I didn't miss days. Like I knew that I had to do those things in order to get paid mm -hmm. in order to keep partying, you know, just like that, that cycle. But also was like, it also created like a, a culture of, um, of partying because it was always like, we go to work, we do our thing. And then we go hit the bar happy hour. You know, get out of work, hit the bar. Next thing you know, it's sun's coming up. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like that, that cycle. Um, but I learned how to, I learned that, that social interaction that was missing. The downside to it, something that you always hear about, and you don't, you always say that it's, I'm not going to end up like that, just like, just like addiction, I guess. But you always say that I'm not going to end up like that is the power as you work your way up to management, store manager. Um, and I really experienced this out at, I almost said the name of the company, at the big box home improvement retailer. So I got fired and fired from this job I had been at for, for 10 years for substance use. And I went and got a job at one of the home improvement stores, the big box home improvement stores, one of the two. And same thing, I stayed there. Six years, five, six years, worked my way up all the way to the top making bank dude i was making bank had but we had a ton of employees working for us so it was like that power like ego i'm untouchable like i can do what i want you know um because i always showed up for work i always showed up for work and same thing lost my job because i didn't think that something could happen to me mm -hmm. and that's when it all started like downward spiraling so it was like i didn't have that balance like at first i didn't have those social skills and then I got a job and I learned those social skills while excessively using drugs and alcohol. And that was just a recipe for disaster because then I would, um, I'd be that person at the bar. That's just like flapping his gums, talking crap. Like, <laughs> yeah, bro. Like I do behind this podcast. It's like, like, and I use it like in bad, in negative ways, like with women and things like that. You know what I mean? Hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. Yeah. Smooth talking, man. I tell them what they want to hear, you know, like, um, is it not me? It wasn't me. You know what I mean? So, um, it all just, it all just started going down from there. And, I don't know how we got kind of like down that road, but <laughs> I don't know either. I, I was um, where did how how did well, we get there? I was asking you about like looking back on your life, reflecting back on your life. What can you identify moments that may have led to where you ended up? And what where I was going with that is that um, a lot of a lot of respected professionals will relate like trauma and early childhood trauma to um, the causes of addiction. 
we talked ice. about this. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this with Frida Sailor, and me and you both were like, you know, I can't recall any like when we think of trauma, we think of like trauma, like big time events in our lives. Yeah, I d- I done that that score and the, mm-hmm. that worksheet she gave us, and I can't think of anything. Well, you know, then again, I, I normalize a lot of things. You know, being yeah. from uh, the reservation, yeah, you know, I sat down with uh, Caitlin and I both sat down and was talking about. A little bit of our stories to them, and they was just like, <laughs> jaw was in the floor the whole time, and they're like, "Don't y'all think this is a little chaotic?" And we're like, "No, I mean it's kind of like everyday life on the res, you know." It's, I think it's the perfect storm. You know, it takes a little bit of this, a little bit of that to to get you to that point. Um, I think that what we look at as traumatic experiences now as adults you're looking at them through the eyes of an adult and if you went back to your childhood and you were that five-year-old it might look feel think different than it does right now that five-year-old is watching you know my mom and dad get raided yeah watching watching my you know domestic violence in my household exactly um yeah see yeah so like, uh, you ever like heard a uh, read any of Gabor Mate? He talks about like the cause of addiction is, um, is trauma based, and he says that like, addiction is like our response, our reaction, our attempt to solve a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And we're doing it in the best way that we know how. I'll ride with that. I, I think yeah. that's a good. That's a fair assessment. And so like. When looking at my life, um, you know, that it's crazy, dude. Like I didn't, I didn't, when I first heard him talk about these things, I was like, I didn't, I didn't experience trauma the way that I think trauma, what I look, what I think trauma looks like. I didn't. This is so deep, you know, because now, now looking back on the things that I seen, because we got the perfect study guide or answers you know cheat sheet of like what not to do with our kids mm-hmm. or with our nieces nephews whatever that look, little brothers whatever that looks like out there is just if you sit down and think about okay domestic violence we're going to keep that out of the house you know just yeah. uh <laughs> just respecting one another you know and lifting each other up no gossip we're going to you know make sure we're not doing that just all these things that I, I can think back and relate to. Like, okay, drug dealing. We no. know where that, <laughs> yeah. we're taking that out too. Because oh, sprinkle some Jesus on here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of Jesus in here. Yeah, church it, on Sundays. Yeah, it, and it goes. You know, just the things. I mean, like, I feel like God's revealing those things to me. This is what I don't want you to do, obviously, mm-hmm. and. Just, I mean, break those generational curses in yeah. my family, you know, because my family's been known as the outlaws and drug dealers and, mm-hmm. you know, getting arrested, federally arrested. <laughs> Still yet, like, you know. Don't worry, man. I Googled you before I hit you up to start start this <laughs> podcast, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 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 wild. Like, Love you, Mom. <laughs> it's public knowledge. Everybody knows Mom got arrested a while back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, it's things like that, you know, it's 
that normalize it. We normalize the chaos in our lives. And then whenever we start going through these things, we cover it up yeah. with stuff. Yeah. And we don't, I think by the, the lack of acknowledging, the, the lack of acknowledgement, right? We just try to like bury it in the sand and don't, don't bring it up. Um, and that's, and that's society. Mm-hmm. That's how we're taught. Yeah. Like, especially as men is, don't show your feelings. Yeah. You don't show no emotion. That's weakness. Blah, blah, blah. Man, you know, my dad, <laughs> he used to always tell me, son, it takes a man to cry. Mm-hmm. Anybody can walk around that tough. Yeah. Anybody can do that. Yeah. But it really takes a man to show, show your heart, wear your heart on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, perfect example of it today. I went down to court down in Swain County, got all my court cases taken care of. I won't get into that a whole lot. We'll talk about that on a different show. Everything's behind me now. Done. So we're, done. we're done. We're Hell done. yeah. We're done. Now, moving forward, uh, we sit down. Uh, we talk, well, The judge gave me an opportunity to say something. So there were, some, there were about eight or nine people that's uh, confined right now in Swain County Jail. And normally I would address the court, but I asked the judge, it just laid on my heart, you know, to talk to, talk to them. And how did I get to this point? Where do I, where do I, how how do we get from there to there? What was we talking about? It don't matter. Keep okay. going. Anyways, so that's the beauty of this thing, man. Oh, crying. Yeah. Wearing my heart on my sleeve. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I, the judge said, "You got anything to say?" I said, "Yeah, actually, I do. I, I, you don't mind? I'd like to speak to the the people that's incarcerated." And he says, "Go ahead." And I said, "I just want to let you know." That just a little over a year ago, I was sitting exactly where you're at because they went down the rundown. You know, Caleb's. You know, he's been doing this, 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 and this. So they got to hear all that. Yeah, that doesn't matter to me. You know that that that's not why I do what I do. But they got to hear that. It's planting seeds. It's those seeds planting seeds about. And, yeah. and, and providing that inspiration and that hope. But they they went down the list. <clears throat> the A B C blah, blah blah. He's been doing this, and. So that gave me an opportunity to be like, you know, I was I was right where you're at a, year, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. I just want to let you know that I don't see the failing. I don't see an inmate. That's what you told these guys? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I start crying, right? Man, I, I, I did. I got emotional. And I said, I, well, I see moms and dads and brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. I don't see any of that stuff that, you know, what, what people cause you. Because I said, you're so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't care. Anybody in this courtroom, you bring as much value to this world as the next person in this courtroom. I said, now, whether you des- whether you decide to pick that up and believe it, that's up to you. But that's where the change is going to come. You know, you're worth it. You're, you're worth the life that you've been given and you, sh- you should, uh, you know, reach out. If that's something that you want to do, reach out for help. I'm here for you. I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, it, recovery does happen each and every day. And I, uh, I'm just, you know, just I got to talk to them and just tell them I love them and I'm, I'm here for them, man. It was, it was amazing. What kind of response? There was, was crying. They were too. There was a few. One of the, one, a couple of the guys, the hard guys. Now, I knew a couple of them. And they, they, they always like, you know, especially in jail, you know, mm-hmm. you're jump, so you got to act hard, right? Yeah. There's a certain way you got to act or that people tell you you got to act. <laughs> and I looked over there, man, and there was, there was tears welled up in their, their eyes. And that's, that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. 
to have that, to see that I'm real, to see that I care, and then to speak that to them. I wish more people would do that, man. How do you get more people to do it? By doing things like playing, like this big adventure we're doing next summer. Yeah. Leading by example. Yeah. Being on that float tomorrow. Yeah. Engaging your community. Having elders, having people our age, having the young, and just talking about these things. And and I want to tell a story real quick before we get off here. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh. This is just a prime example of what I'm talking about, how something so little can create such a huge impact. So this little boy and his dad, they go to watch this inspirational talk, watch this guy speak. And after the after they're done, after the show's done, the little boy comes to his dad. He's like, Dad, I want to I wanna make a difference in the world. Dad's like, okay, what do you want to do? He said, I want you to give me a job at a grocery store. Dad's like, ah, you know. That's, that'll be easy. We'll do that. Gets him a job at a grocery store. Two weeks later, the little boy comes back to his dad again. And he says, Dad, I want to make a bigger impact on the world. He's like, son, just bag your groceries. Tell them, you know, have a good day. That's all you do. He's like, no, I, I want to go further than that. He said, I want you to make these cards for me. It's going to be the word of the day. I want to give them a word of the day. Dad's like, all right, I got you. Makes the cards for him. A couple weeks later, the manager's looking down. All five, six, and seven's open. Mm. Everybody's in little John's line in aisle eight. Manager comes <laughs> over to speaker. He's like, hey, we got all these other lines open. You know, y'all are backed up. Y'all can get one of them lines. Nobody moves. So he comes down from the back, gets out on the floor. He's like, hey, we got five, six, and seven open. What are y'all doing in eight? You know, you can get out of here a lot quicker if you come over here. And the people's like, we don't want to come over there. We didn't, we didn't even come here for the groceries. We came here because little Johnny, his word of the day, encouraged us and let us know, you know, that we're loved. And so it's just like how something so small of doing something like that, you know, the, the, the intent of your heart, mm-hmm. if it's pure and if you mean what you say, and you you do it with everything in you, every fiber in you, just like in the courtroom today, it's going to make an impact. Yeah. Maybe not right then, but it's that seed being planted. Yeah. And you talk about those pure intentions to where, like, there was no, there was, there was no, it was very clear and there was no confusion that you said and did the things that you did not to get yourself out of trouble. I was, I mean, it was already done. Yeah, that's done, what I mean. done deal. Yeah, but to make mm-hmm. an impact on that those gentlemen who were next and in ladies line. and ladies mm-hmm. who were next in line. Yeah, they was getting ready to get up and get sentenced, or some of them had been sentenced. One of them, went to, one of them's going to prison. Two of them might have been going to prison. Yeah, but it's just despise not the day of small beginnings. Mm-hmm. Great things come from small situations yeah from small starts you know i love it man i got a question for you what's up man? something that i've been thinking about so you ever heard of the dopey podcast Mm-mm. it's pretty popular um 
podcast about recovery. And I came across it a while back and kind of listened in and out. I didn't listen regularly, but it's, it's kind of a cool concept. These guys um, started this podcast about three or four years ago, and um, they come from the 12-step fellowship. So unlike us and in, in, in following like the 12 step traditions and stuff like that, these guys just started this podcast kind of anonymously and just going by their first names and they never really like, um, even put their faces out there. Like you can see these pictures. They just like any picture that they have, they put the, their logo like over their eyes. So you can't really like see who they are. It's just kind of like, a, um, you know, to, to, to support the anonymity of it. Um, and so they started this podcast and it kind of like grew, right? They got a lot of, um, pretty so good. How long have they been around? Uh, I think like 2000, 2000 and like 16. So about three or four years, I want to say like four years, um, they've been around, but they started, they got a significant following. They got a lot of people tuning in just like, Kind of What's like, significant? I don't know. I I don't. I just know a few that, thousand. Yeah, more than that. Yeah, probably. I would say more than that. I mean, they get like, they get like big guests like Dr. Drew and like oh wow. cele like celebrities and different people in recovery. So um, they got a, they got a, they established a a pretty large audience and a pretty large following, um, and. Back in July, this past July, so they've been doing this for like three or four years. And, you know, uh, preface this by saying that, like, all I've done is listen to a couple podcasts of theirs. So I'm no expert and they're like, they're confidential. So like, I don't know exactly all of the details other than like what was shared on their, on their podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially what, um, what happened was granted doing a weekly podcast once a week with like big time celebrities and um, influential people in recovery. And this past July, one of the hosts of the show, Chris, um, I had to return to use. Come on. Return to use. Well, I was going to kind of set it up. Oh. started to display um, questionable behavior. So before he had it, he was actually he before it was it was known. Well, you know, this one of the signs is we re, we relapse or have return of use before mm -hmm. we actually use we use before we use. Yeah. Well, they 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 think that he was probably using. But he just became like very irritable, irrational. Was like staying up late, um, even like overnight, not sleeping. Um, all of the all of the warning signs were there. Okay. What happened? All the warning signs were there, um, both with his inner circle, like his close friends, the other guy on the show, and his and his girlfriend at home. They, everybody saw it, and they were somewhat in the process of addressing it, but they weren't direct. They didn't mm -hmm. take direct action about it. Um, and in this past July, he overdosed. Mm. and passed oh wow yeah i thought he had to return to use wow he, he returned to use they think he was using for about four to six weeks 
So for four to six weeks, everybody in his life, everybody in his circle were, and this dude, I mean, he was like active in his 12-step fellowship. He worked in the field for like a treatment center. He did this very well-followed podcast, um, talked to like big-time people. And so like we always talk about how we're always vulnerable and we always um, will be. And he returned to use, Chris, and um, passed away in July. Okay. And so, again, like, the signs, um, he was very irritable. His, like, um, wasn't getting any sleep. Like, his girlfriend reported he was staying up all night, telling her he couldn't sleep. And his drug of choice prior to was, like, cocaine. He would, like, um, IV cocaine use Mm -hmm. mixed with, like, meth sometimes. Um, And so, like, he would stay up all night, wasn't getting any sleep, was very irritable, um, even was kind of like sloppy on like podcast and a couple of, of the podcasts towards the end, he didn't, um, a lot of the audience, a lot of the fans were like reporting like, Hey, he's obviously high on the show right now. Like it got to that point, but nobody, t- they didn't take direct action. They were doing things. They were like talking to him and. Um, his girl. What 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 kind of direct action th- should they take? You think? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's that's my question, and that's where I'm going with this. Is that I mean, these guys have done. I think they did 142 episodes together. They did 142 episodes together. Oh wow! So there's three or that's four. Been yeah, that's been around. been around. Yeah. And so, like, uh, Dave continued the podcast after without him. So, like, they're up to, like, 150-something now. But they did 142 episodes of the podcast together, Caleb McCoy. We've done 25. So what I want to ask you and what I want to, like, talk through together is exactly what you just said. What type of direct action, right? I got four years in long-term recovery, in two or three years from now, while we're in, when we're doing this and working together on bigger and better adventures, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do if 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 all the warning signs, if all those signs show <coughs> up in my life, mm-hmm. like how do we handle that type of situation? Like if it's clear to you that I'm using. If you walk into this room and you, I just reek of alcohol, right? What do we do? Okay. So the first the first thing that I would do, I guess, is ask I need to ask myself. And it goes back to that answer sheet that we have in front of us already. Like what what can I look back on in my life that's been effective or not effective and apply here? What do I need to stay away from? What do I need to use? And you know, that, that can vary from person to person. But the one thing that doesn't vary is the love that we come from. Mm-hmm. We got to show that love. Um, don't, okay, I heard this when I was up in Kentucky when we was experiencing somebody that was not, a, that was, that wasn't with the program. You know, that was kind of messing. At, at a point, that was threatening the whole trip. And one of the women that, uh, the amazing Tony, she's watching. Tony, love you. She's like, you can't pet the demon. You got to rebuke that. 
you got to say this this is what you're doing wrong this is what and then it goes back to those we're in a business venture together now if it was just like me and you as far as okay (laughs) come on (laughs) you know what I expect by how I live my own life. Mm-hmm. I know what you expect by how you live yours. There's a certain standard of excellence that I try to live with. When I see you falling short and you see me falling short, right now we're going to make that pact that you're going to tell me about it. Yeah. Out of love, not like, man, you better straighten up or I'm kicking you off the show. You know, not like that, yeah. but like, hey, man, you slipping. Yeah. This is what I see. What do you need? Right. What can I do to help you get back on track? Mm-hmm. That's plain and simple, man. I, yeah. I think that's the best way to do it, but it's catch easy, it right then. Easier said than done, though. Like, we don't know how we would do it. Until we're in that situation. Man, if you come in here smelling alcohol, I'm going to rebuke you. Man. I'm going to tell you, we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray over you. We're going to uh-huh. just cast that out. Uh-huh. For real. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not going to sit back and have a whole show with you and you smell like alcohol. Yeah. But I'm don't gonna... you think that these guys, after doing this for like four years, I mean, it's hard to tell without It like, is really, hard really to tell, knowing man. Them. You sit here and speculate. Like, I, I could look at you right now and say that like, the Caleb McCoy that I know, we're not going to be end up in that situation because we're doing the fruitful work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like when I, you, you mentioned earlier that they say that you know returning to use happens before you actually do it, right? Mm-hmm. So the behaviors. So, so looking at it from like that perspective, the minute I see Caleb McCoy sleeping, not doing the work, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, Caleb, what's up, dude? What's going on? Where you at? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, like, hopefully you even catch it before that happens. Like, and kind of ground each other and bring it back. But, <laughs> I mean, these guys are best friends, dude. They met in treatment in 2011 and started the podcast a couple of years later. Like, they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. My, and then, you know, there, there's certain points. Like, okay, one thing that we will not do, because we don't, we don't know the circumstances surrounding this whole situation. But what I do know is. I wouldn't. You will not be on the show. I will not be on the show if if we're sitting here high. Oh, I don't yeah. know how that got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how it got to that point. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I think they were doing. I think they were doing like remote, like Skype. Like one guy was somewhere, one guy was somewhere. So they weren't like face to face like we are right now. Right, but still, like yeah. somebody's high on. <laughs> you gonna know? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. The, I mean, the audience like did like there was there was like comments and posts yeah. like, saying like, hey, hey guys, after they posted the show. I don't know if they do a Facebook, like a live thing. Uh-huh. They just upload it for people to listen to. And so I think that like after the show got posted, people were like, hey, he was obviously, he was clearly high. There was a lot of people like speculating. There was a lot of speculation around his sobriety after, that was the next to last podcast. The, then the then he passed the week after. Man, I, I hate to hear that. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. So I don't know, man. That was just something that, that's a good. That's that's a good. And something that's on my mind. Like what? What would we? What would we do? Because that's like we say that we would do something, but we don't truly know until we're in that situation, man. And it's like, but it's something that I need. After learning of the Dopey Podcast story, it made me 
reflect and question how we collectively would handle that. And even to take it a step further, like, I mean, we have guests on the show all the time. What if somebody shows up under the influence? Uh, and that's something we got to talk about, too, is like we, we pretty much every one of our guests have really stepped up to the plate and brought it. Oh, yeah. And I just want them to know anybody that's listening, if you might be on a future podcast with us, we expect you to bring it. Mm-hmm. We expect you to to have that standard of excellence in anything that you do. Yeah. Because we want to make sure that we're attached to those people. Yeah. Right? That yeah, hold, their, hold their self to that. And, and that goes back to commitment. You know, we sit here, we can sit here and talk about what we would do. But if you're practicing that commitment, each and everything that you do, when this comes up, it's just going to be like next Automatic. Thing. Yeah. Automatic. Right. You don't have to think about it. It's, it, it's a habit that becomes a form over time. It, it becomes a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You don't even think about it. Like you're going to do it because mm-hmm. I, that's just how I am. Yeah. That's just my character. Yeah. It's good talk, man. It has been. Yeah. It's been deep tonight. I like to, I like to maybe reflect back on this. Every couple times a year, maybe three or four times a year, bring up this conversation. Caleb McCoy, what are you going to do if I show up smelling like alcohol? Just like, just so we are very, so it's very clear. Mm-hmm. What I'm telling you is I expect you to hold me accountable. And I know you will, but I just think that after learning of this story, I think that's important to, to have that conversation. Yeah. It's important to me to have that conversation. And we do have a, a, a level of mutual respect to where, um, you know, we're comfortable talking about it. And it's not, I'm not saying that something has to be talked about on the podcast. We're comfortable talking with each other privately. We've had honest conversations, right? If, if we do, if something like that, God forbid something like that was to happen. Somebody just hit something in there. That was a really, oh, well. It's a long one right there. Um, if we're not in a position to receive it, I want us to go back and reference this conversation. Run the tapes? Like, yeah. Run the tape. <laughs> roll back the tape. Because that? you said if you was slipping and I come back and I told you and I, and I called you out on it, held you accountable to the things that you said you would do, not like mm-hmm. I... Right, mm-hmm. and you're not. You're sitting here. You're not receiving what I'm talking. You know, we're gonna go back to this podcast. That was part of what I thought about. I was actually planning on having this conversation last Wednesday at SEC, but we just never got around to it. But that was part in my prep and in my thinking. That was part of like of my thought process was to like mark these tapes right and set this conversation aside, save it on. A hard drive somewhere. Oh, YouTube. YouTube it. Yeah, there you go. This will be our YouTube segment. Um, to say, if that does happen, I could say, well, this is what this is what we agreed upon. This is what we talked about. This is what we um, asked of each other. Mm-hmm. Right? Is is to because I'm not, you know, I I'm we're always vulnerable. I'm confident in my recovery right now at this moment. I can't promise you where I'll be in five years, ten years. Who knows? You know, what um, I know where I want to be. What I, I what, know where I'm working towards being, but I don't know where I will be. Control the controllables. Control the controllables, man. How do I do that? 
getting in my recovery, doing my meditation, doing my exercise, eating healthy, mm-hmm. uh, all those things. How's that going? Uh, exercise, meditation, eating. eating. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm all, I always eat healthy. I always yeah. ate healthy. I'm back on um, uh, just eating. I'm not eating a lot of meat anymore. The carnivore diet wasn't for me. <laughs> I'll say that right now. Oh, but you was all about that thing yeah. the first week or so. I was. Uh, the carnivore <laughs> diet's not for me. I'm back to mostly like vegetarian. I will eat like some chicken. I'll eat whatever. I'll eat. I'll yeah. even eat some steaks and stuff like that. Yeah. I like. I think that it's important for me to have like. You got a plate of food on your plate, right? It's important. I think, from what I've learned, a healthy diet for me, what works for me, I think it's different for everybody. You got the keto thing out there. You yeah. got all this other stuff. What I think works for me is um, a nice portion of plant-based food. Mm-hmm. Probably, th- I don't know, three quarters of the plate, you know, and a little bit of 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 meat or meat byproducts, you know. Majority plant-based with a little bit of meat. Um it's for like proteins and energies and stuff like that. And I'm not a nutritionist, so I have no idea. I've just found that that's what like gives me optimal energy, optimal feelings of wellness, that sort of thing. Um, so I've tried a lot, a lot of different things. So before we wrap it up, man, I know you got to run. You got a busy day. Sober October. Sober October. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, man. Um, I think that we should. Uh, just offer that offer that uh that out to anybody that's listening. Um, we want to challenge you guys to dedicate the month of October to your health and wellness. Whatever like we talked about with recovery, the power of the individual deciding what that looks like for them. Mm-hmm. So um, it's great that fall break's coming up because I'm gonna be out for a week of school where I can really like get that momentum going, you know? Um, well, I'm going to do 15 days of in the next 31 days, I'm going to do 15 days of yoga, 15 days of running two miles a day and meditate every day. That's what's up. That's where I'm at. So, huh? Well, you kind of put me on the spot. I don't think you got to say. I mean, everybody knows what you're doing. I started my <laughs> training for the Pacific Coast. Uh, what are we going to call that? We need, we need to come up, we're gonna come up with a name. Yeah, yeah we're going to come up with a name. Hey, anybody out there listening, you want to get involved with the, uh, the, the, what was the word I'm looking for? Dubbing this uh, physical challenge. We're looking we, for a name for the physical challenge. Yeah, for next year. We're going to the West Coast. Starting at the Canadian border and going down to the Mexican border. We're looking for info. Right, we're going to San Diego is where I think we're going to end up. Yeah, right. Just below San Diego, yeah, there yeah. was like a nice like park. I was looking at the map. All right, there's like a nice like park like right on the Mexican Really? Right there in Baja? Mexican? On the water. Yeah. yeah, right on the water. Man, there's like a park, like a national park or some kind of deal. So I think that would be like your destination, your end destination. Now we just got to figure out where to start and then what the route's going to look like. So... Um. Yeah, it's definitely coming. It's it's coming together, man. It's gonna happen, man. Shout out to Living Proof, Living Proof Wear, Living Proof Wear. Ginger yeah. Stream the Dream. 
Yeah, I'll go on there. Go on Facebook. Uh, a dear friend of ours yes. is launching a recovery app- line of apparel. Um, you'll be able to get on raising and, awareness, raising awareness, stomping the stigma, stomping the stigma. Well, you'll be able to get on and order some shirts. It's all locally, um, manufactured stuff. So get on there and check her out. You got any closing words, my man? <clears throat> Somebody out there. I don't want you to discredit the impact that you can make. Just like if you have, if you didn't hear the story tonight that I told about little Johnny and the making the impact in the grocery store, because he gave people a word of the day, because he he took the time out to say, "Hey, I see you." Um, you give him an encouraging word. That right there, something that small can make a huge difference in this world. And I just want to encourage you to get out there and try to find, try to find that little Johnny in you. You know what I mean? Try to find that that person down inside of you because we have two hands for a reason: one to help ourselves, one to help our brother and sister. So get out there and and make a difference. Be that Johnny. Be little Johnny. Thank you guys for listening to NC Raw, North Carolina Recovery Always. This crew right here wants to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found by searching Rival727 on Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Get on and like his page. Give him some love. I hope to looks like I'll be meeting meeting him next week and maybe doing a little bit a little interview when I'm down in Florida. So be on the lookout for that. And also, we want to send a ton of love to our mutual friend, my man Alvin Hooks. I love you, dude. Love you, Hooks. Love you, Hooks. We got the we got nothing but love for you, bro. We're going to close out the show with one of your tracks titled love of my life all of our work can be found by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life while you're there drop your email subscribe to the page so that we can send you exclusive content offers every time we publish the show it'll be emailed directly to your inbox kayla mccoy oh one last thing we want to give a ton of love to our recovery allies, the Comfort Inn yes. of Silva. Give them some love. Follow their page. Stop by and say hello. Y'all have a good night. This is my man Notes, Alvin Hooks, Love of My Life. Peace out. Yeah. That's what you want, baby. Yeah, I hear you, baby. I know what you want. I feel you. Hey, look. Let me tell you something. Yeah, she knows about me. Talking is and outs. And she asking about my past, but I block it out. But she tell me, hooks, look, don't you lock me out. I want to learn everything that's my word of mouth. And I believe her. I feel a gentle spirit. I know she really mean it. And it's pain. I want to kill it. But she says, if I talk about it, only way to heal it. But I hate it when I feel it. Because at night, I really feel it. Man, I see it in my dreams. Guns and the screams. Bodies and the fiends. And holding in between. Now she got me in my feelings. Guessing her intentions. Not respecting my wishes. But until
tears tell me different Baby girl, you my everything You the meaning to my living You got me smiling while I'm dreaming All the love that you're giving You've been giving since the beginning What I'm saying is Ain't no words just what I'm feeling Yeah Of you and I, sweetheart I got you, I'm giving you my everything Let me tell you how I feel right now. But tell the truth, though, it's hard for me to see that. From a gangster to an addict, I'm a beast with a habit. I'm downright pathetic. I done seen tears and shattered hearts. I done shattered dreams ripped apart. And I love our cuddle times and our couple times. Even when we disagree, those be my favorite times. You got me doing things I never did. And I hope you understand the real meaning, what my love is. You got me bumping country, loving joy straight. And I'm gazing in your eyes over dinner plates. Taking night rides, vibing on the parkway. And I'm far from perfect, you love me anyway And what we got, everything seems so right And when you see me, your smile be so bright And when things dark, you're my light You the love of my life, my baby, my future wife Hey, That's what she telling me, man She want more of me and her It's you and I forever, you hear me? Ain't nothing changing that, baby. Take us out. Tornabees.com. It's your boy Notes, man.